This is the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. Today, we'll talk about some of the tax considerations for mutual funds investing in private equity or hedge funds. Well, hello and welcome to the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. I'm Matt Weiss. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm pleased to be joined today by Deirdre Fortune. She's the tax leader for public investment management at KPMG. Deirdre, how are you today? I am good, Matt. Enjoying the sunshine here in Florida, which well, is probably not what you want to hear. No, well, I will say it's eased a little bit, thankfully, that we've entered somewhat nicer weather throughout the country with the spring season. But uh, lucky you throughout the winter months, certainly. And, you know, Deirdre, speaking of hot topics and the weather warming up, we're, we're talking about a fascinating topic today. And that being what we're seeing with more interest from mutual funds who are regulated investment companies, better known as RICs, investing in private equity hedge funds and venture capital and these types of investments are very complicated from a tax perspective as you know and before we get into those tax complexities i just wanted to start deirdre with what are some of the qualification requirements a rick must meet yes so on the rick side um there are a number of qualifications and what the qualifications are really getting at or these requirements are getting at is not to have all your eggs in one basket. So if we look at the first one is our gross income test. So uh, RICs are required to at least have at least 90% of their gross income invested in passive investments. So investments that generate interest income, dividends, gains from the sale or disposition of, of stocks or securities. So that's kind of the, the, from the income test, and that's an annual test. From a diversification standpoint, that is a quarterly test, and there are a number of specific diversification requirements, but the largest one or the overall one is that at least 50% of your assets, meaning the RICS assets, is invested in cash, cash equivalents, government securities, other RICS, and securities where there are less than 5% of your total assets. So, it's really like focused on having that diversification and reducing the risk for the investors. And then the other requirement, which we want to talk about just briefly, is that distribution requirement. So at least 90% of your investment company taxable income uh, or tax-exempt income needs to be distributed every year. So that allows the RIC, unlike other U.S. corporations, to have that benefit of no tax at that entity level. Deirdre, that's that's really informative. And, and if I'm a manager of a mutual fund, Deirdre, and I'm thinking about investing in any of these entities, whether it's PE or VC or, or hedge, as we mentioned earlier, what are the top one or two things I need to be thinking about from a tax perspective? Yeah, so prior to making the investment, I think it's really looking at what is the partnership activity? Because you may think that when you're investing in a partnership, it's just another investment. But unfortunately, the rules when it comes to investing in partnerships is that they, from a tax perspective, you look through the partnership at its investments and also the income that it generates. So from a gross income perspective, you want to look at what activity that partnership is generating. 
what that income is. So if it's operating income, so for example, if the partnership is is manufacturing widgets, that's not something that is a passive type nature. So that would be considered bad income. And you only have that 10% that's allowed to be bad income. So those are kind of things in looking maybe prior to making the investment to make sure that it's generating good income. And then from an asset diversification standpoint, looking at what the investment, the underlying investments of the partnerships are. So a lot of times, you know, you're investing in the partnership, you may not know or have transparency underneath to see what those investments are. So because you need to aggregate those investments with the investments of the RIC. So it's important to be able to get that transparency. It's not always possible, but if you can do some upfront discussion with the partnership to allow that, that is really good to be able to do that. I was going to say uh, it's probably best for you to conclude your point because I'm sure our listeners are listening in and asking themselves. We've talked about some of the requirements, talked about what to think about for perspective, and it it segues into transparency, but I wanted you to just finish uh, your final point, certainly. Yeah, and then there's other taxes that I wanted to just, you know, to be able to think about while, and we'll get into those a little later in the discussion. So, Deirdre, as, as I was saying, we talked about some of the requirements that a RIC must meet. We talked about some of the key things to think about from a tax perspective, and that segues nicely into you know the transparency and the detail of your PE or VC or hedge firms. Do you find that they're generally prepared to provide the type of detail or transparency that RICs need? In a lot of cases, there is um, challenges in getting that information. So for those of you who are familiar with getting a K-1, that is the reporting that's received from a partnership, that line one income is generally always made up of, of both income and expenses. So when we have that situation, you know, from a RIC perspective, the requirement is gross income. So a lot of when you go and make the investments or maybe another private entity within your group already invests in that uh, entity, being able to understand what information they can provide or will provide before you make the investment is very important. So some of the underlying partnerships absolutely will provide detail of that line one or ordinary income that's flowing through that could be generating bad income. That's something you want to be able to explore upfront and be able to get that detail. So that's what happens in practice for a lot of these in, um, regulated investment companies that invest in partnerships is they do the research upfront to be able to look at that. Then when it comes to the asset diversification, in a lot of cases, for example, for hedge funds, they don't necessarily want to give all of the information of their underlying investments because it may be giving away what their strategy is when it comes to how they are making their investments. So in that case, the hedge fund may actually do a side letter with maybe the fund administrator to provide that information to them to aggregate it for all of their partnerships. And then it's mixed in with the all of the the. Um, 
investments, and then you're able to do the calculations of what could be uh, more than 5% or not. So there are ways to structure around it, and those who make these kind of investments do tend to be able to get as much information as possible. Deirdre, how does the year end of the fund impact inclusion of income? Yeah, so this is something that we see a lot of as discussions when when portfolio managers are thinking about what year ends the RIC is going to be, because most partnerships are 1231 year end funds. So when you're thinking about if you pick the RIC having a 1231 year end fund as well, you have to wait to get the, the K1s and you may not have those in time, especially if you're, you know, in the it being SEC registered, you're required to file your financial statements within 60 days. So with that information is generally not available that quickly. So what people do is they pick a year end later in the year. So from a RIC perspective, you pick up the year end of the partnership that falls within the RIC year end. So if you kind of push the RIC's year end to later in the year, it does allow a little deferral of when the income is picked up, but then also time for you to gather the information to be able to include it on your tax return and be able to get the information for the, the gross income test and the um, underlying uh, diversification. Well, Deirdre, we started the show talking about that there were a number of tax complexities, and there certainly are, as, uh, as I listened to you explaining this. And I'm sure our listeners are also interested, Deirdre, in how RICs are impacted by excise tax and state tax. Yes. So from an excise tax standpoint, which is another tax that RICs are subject to, so you have got the income tax rules, where as long as you have you distribute all of your income, you're not subject to tax. But under the income tax rules, they do allow a deferral of up to a year to distribute that income out. And then shareholders would include that on their own tax returns and report it to the IRS. So excise tax is requiring you to distribute at least 98 um, of ordinary income, 98%, and 98.2% of capital gains within the year. So based on a calendar year for ordinary income and a capital gains year through 1031. So you've got, irrespective of what you've been doing on income tax or your own, the RIC's actual year end for tax income tax purposes, there's this added layer of complication when it comes to excise tax. And if a RIC has a significant investment in partnerships, the rules require you to do estimates within that year. So this is an added complication of having, once you come to your year end, being able to get estimates from your underlying partnerships in order to satisfy this requirement for excise tax purposes. So this is a real challenge being able to get good estimates for both capital gains and ordinary income from the underlying partnerships even before the year end has closed. So this has always been a, a, a real challenge for those registered funds of either hedge funds or private equity funds. And then from a state tax purposes, you know, if you have partnerships in different states, 
and they are operating partnerships, they will cause you to have or the RIC to have nexus, what we say is nexus or state filings. And there may even be some state taxes or state leakage that you need to be aware of. So this is added complication. And it's important, again, when you're initially making the investment in partnerships, what that means from both a excise and from a state perspective. Deirdre, you mentioned a lot of the challenges uh, and, and some of the roadblocks that mutual funds need to be aware of when they're investing in these partnerships. And I wanted to take a moment to ask you, what are we seeing from our clients who are either already investing in these types of partnerships or thinking about doing so? So I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing our clients do and that are in these investments and partnerships is the upfront research that they do on the partnership investment. And they'll generally have an investment committee or a team that will look at every investment before it's made within the partnership to make sure that it would be qualified or if the amount of non-qualified income wouldn't be significant for the RIC. So I think doing that homework upfront and again with the transparency being able to have that conversation up front with the partnership to be able to provide that information either directly or through to a third party to satisfy those diversification requirements. Or an alternative would be to include the investment in a blocker corporation. So basically, if there is bad income being generated from the partnership, what the RIC would do is set up a 100% owned subsidiary corporation and put that investment, that partnership investment, in that entity. It may be some tax leakage, but it's better than being um, being disqualified as a RIC because you're generating more than 10% bad income. So those are some of the things that we're seeing our clients do up front to alleviate any of the risk. Well, Deirdre, this has been an informative and timely discussion, and I want to thank you for your time today. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to this edition of the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives podcast, and we hope to catch you again on a future episode. Thank you for listening to the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives podcast. For more information, visit listen.kpmg.us slash imperspectives. And be sure to subscribe to this series to be notified of new episodes.